Vaccine, 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 vaccine. The importance of a good communication plan for COVID-19 vaccinations today on the Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto and here with me once again is HFMA's Director of Content Strategy, Brad Dennison. Hey, Brad. Hey, Erica. Great to be back with you. Usually we use this top segment of the podcast to talk about hot topics we've been looking into, but today's podcast topic is so hot that we're going to jump right in. Listeners, as you might have guessed from the way we started this episode, we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccination effort. And yes, that really was Dolly Parton you heard singing in a video she posted on March 2nd, where she received a dose of the vaccine she helped fund. If you want to see the whole video, you can find it on our Instagram at Dolly Parton. Of course, vaccination efforts are on just about everybody's mind right now, but you and I have been talking about it a lot these last few months, haven't we, Brad? We have been talking a lot about it, and it seems like just a month ago, things were far less clear than they are even today. I mean, as I talked to you about the status of the vaccinations and what the future looked like, we could go to some pretty dark places with it and some end of the world scenarios. And as I talked to other people in the industry, too, you can sort of think yourself into a downward spiral, but that doesn't seem to be where things are now. And I'm definitely feeling more optimistic now about how many people will be vaccinated in the coming months. The thing I'm staying focused on is the impact of deferred care in the middle of all this. And this is something our team of editors has been covering since last year. The fact that health screenings are down and ED volumes are still off. Communication teams have been dealing with a three-pronged problem here in terms of vaccine availability, where to get it, trying to get people comfortable with coming in for screenings, trying to get the message out to not ignore acute symptoms. And back in our coverage in 2020, we had a source actually reference, where did all the heart attacks go? Now I'm starting to hear from my contacts that people who should have been in the ED with heart attack symptoms stayed home. And now they're coming back in very poor health. And often there's little that can be done because the symptoms were ignored for so long. It's certainly reason to worry people slowly come back sicker in 21 and 22 because of less obvious issues that weren't caught in routine screenings. So then getting the population vaccinated quickly, getting people feeling safe and good enough to come back to the hospital, certainly very important then. Yes, absolutely. When it comes to the number of vaccines administered by state, um, North Dakota has been near the top of the list for a while. Minnesota isn't too far behind. South Dakota is a little farther down after that. So I decided to reach out to a health system that touches all three of those states to find out how they're communicating with their patients about how and when they can get vaccinated. Matt Hawks, Chief Operating Officer for Sanford Health System, shared his thoughts. Let's talk about how you communicate with your patients about when and where they can get the vaccine. What is Sanford Health doing to ensure that everybody who is eligible has everything they need? What tools are you using to communicate with patients? And how do you measure success in vaccinating your your patient population? You know, this started, I would say, late summer, early fall. Uh, We had our system is uh, obviously an integrated health system with many facilities and hospitals across the footprint. And we had a corporate incident commander, a system incident command that was stood up. And we've been trying to stay, you know, six to 12 weeks ahead of this virus 
So it was probably late summer. We started hearing about Pfizer and Moderna and emergency use authorization. And we started as a team, and the team includes physicians, nurses, pharmacists, et cetera, contemplating how we were going to start communicating with our patients, uh, knowing that the vaccine would be in short supply. We knew we needed to do is understand how we were going to um, a low number of vaccines uh, equitably to our patients. And so what we ended up doing was we had back in March of 2020, when COVID hit our, the Dakotas and Minnesota, uh, we started capturing all of our positive patients into a patient registry and putting them throughout the course of their illness. Um, and so as of today, we have, I think, up to upwards of 90,000 patients in that registry. And what we decided to do was to look in the registry and start to create an algorithm that could identify who were the most at-risk patients, meaning which of, which of our patient population had the profile of an individual if they got COVID who would not do well. Uh, in other words, would be hospitalized, potentially be on a ventilator, or even unfortunately pass away from the disease. And so using that database, we were able to stratify all of our patients. So we laid that those profiles over our patient population, which is uh, north of 1.2 million people that were responsible for in the Dakotas and Minnesota. And so right away, we started forming kind of that strategy because um, we needed to understand, people needed to understand what our process was going to be as we worked through these age groups and why we were giving vaccines to certain individuals and not others. Um, and we felt like that was a very smart, uh, strategic way uh, to address it, but also it's really where the vaccine should be going. Those who need it the most should be getting the vaccine first. So that was that was our first conversation about it, which led to obviously the algorithm and our ability to stratify our next strategy. We need to make sure we could communicate to our patients and our people, our employees, who was gonna get the vaccine first and why. We needed to have a story there. And we started to communicate that. We used every channel possible, town halls with our employees, emails, Facebook Live, Sanford Health News, using our clinicians uh, to talk locally and, and in our communities about how we were doing this. And then more, most importantly, um, we started to devise a system of how people were going to get invited to receive their vaccine uh, and started to communicate that ahead of time. So they knew, number one, that we had their care as our responsibility. We wanted them to know, you know, their name was on our list. You're part of our Sanford family and we're watching out for you. And this is how we communicate when the vaccine's available. So we immediately early in December, late November, early December, started disseminating communication to our patient population of, hey, this is how we're gonna notify you. We sent out text messages, we sent out letters, we sent out my chart messages to all of our patients. So that started November, early December. And then luckily, it wasn't too long ago, just after the first of the year, um, that we were able to start moving into uh, our patient population. So that messaging and that communication worked well for us because then obviously we started to send invitations by mail, by text, by voice, uh, and then by my chart. So it sounds like you've really been on this, not just from the very beginning, but from the very, very beginning, kind of working to get everything in place so that when the vaccine was ready, so were you. Yeah, you know, it's honor and it's um it's a, it's a big responsibility when, when patients choose their health system for their care. And that's not something we take lightly. And so planning strategy uh, as it relates to a patient, what the patient's going to expect from a health system that considers them a part of their family has always been a way that we've approached any situation or any challenge like that. 
we know logistically in the Dakotas and, and in Minnesota where we have sites that, you know, we have a lot of distance um, between us and uh, our facilities. And so we want to make sure that we have a strategy to provide that care as close to home as possible for our patients so they don't have to drive uh, long distances. We joke around here and in, in Sioux Falls and Fargo, which I would not consider urban locations. I mean, they're population centers of maybe 200,000 on a good day. You know, you can get anywhere in five minutes, but outside of a 30 radius, you know, it starts to become quite onerous for patients to travel. So our, our strategy and how we're going to communicate with our patients on how we're going to disseminate the vaccine where number one priority because of that responsibility and that honor when that patient Stanford Health uh, to be their health system. So, Brad, so far here, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, the first thing I thought was noteworthy was that Sanford leadership knew that they would want this data on their patients. So they got it all together so they could hit the ground running and find the right patients right away. The other thing was this attention to location. Now, you and I both live in the Chicago area where there are vaccination sites all over the place. But I've been talking to my parents in rural Pennsylvania, and they're talking about putting their name on every list they can find and potentially traveling a few hours to get their vaccines. And for the record, they're still having trouble getting an appointment. So it seems like a health system that puts some careful thought into location is really doing the right thing. I think it's location, but I also think it's been a communication problem as well. Even if you know there's a place where you can get it, the supply changes on a weekly basis. So, and in a place like Chicago too, I mean, it's really tough to, when there's multiple providers and multiple places you can go. It's just, it's been hard for consumers to figure all that out. And providers are trying right now to communicate with very specific, narrow groups of people about availability. And I think there's a school of thought that this process would have gone much faster and better if it was open to everybody. And the idea is that that would have been good too for everybody and even for more at-risk people. But now it feels like we're on the verge of this being a little bit more like the flu shot where, you know, you can just go in uh, to a provider, you, you get it, it's available everywhere. That's obviously a much simpler problem to solve in terms of locations and communications. Obviously, communication is really important at this point when people are still getting vaccinated by need and by risk factors. But in the next segment, we're going to hear from Hawks about how things are going to look for Sanford Health when everyone is eligible. Right now, your focus is still the high risk population, and that seems to be the case pretty much everywhere you go. What happens when things kind of open up to everyone? Is your plan going to change there or are you still kind of planning this methodical approach once a healthy young person is eligible to get the vaccine? That's a great question. It's one we've been toying with as well and debating in our uh, strategic meetings. So unfortunately, right now, we're receiving, our health system is receiving seven to 8,000 first doses a week. So you can understand kind of the limitation that we have. Uh, and just for perspective, we have probably around 400,000 patients over the age of 65 that we're responsible for. So you can see that the problem that we're facing and, and why we're in this stratification of high risk right now, the high risk to be vaccinated first. I will tell you that we are looking forward to the day when those volumes can start to increase, because I think one of the reasons people are avoiding healthcare right now is because this disease has really separated patients from their, from their physician or their provider. All of the testing is being done, even within our system at drive-in sites, uh, locale outside of the clinic or the hospitals. Now the vaccinations, same thing. We've, we've cohorted vaccination clinics into one building in a lot of our facilities. And that's 
direct opposite of how we normally care for patients. You know, um, people, to your point, I think we had mentioned earlier in an earlier conversation about someone asking you if you wanted your flu vaccine when you're in for a routine visit. You know, the visits to our clinics are so important because it, it helps us with healthcare maintenance. And we start to take people out of the clinic system and do the things that we're doing, such as testing sites and, and vaccination sites that are off campus, if you want to call it dissects that continuity and that communication with our patients. And so, you know, once we're able to get enough vaccine and you said open it up, then we're going to go right back to how we normally do things. Uh, you know, flu vaccine is a great example. We can be vaccinating and we do 30,000 patients a week in our system and nobody bats an eyelash at that. Um, that's just routine and how we built our system and how we and how we work with our patients, and our communities to do that. So our setup, you know, large volumes of vaccine. 30,000 vaccines a week for upwards of 10 to 12 weeks without a, without any issue. So we look forward to that. We've also deployed new rapid antigen testing into our clinics in advance of knowing uh, that this will, you know, care will start to become more routine as it relates to COVID. And we need to make sure our clinics are ready and armed uh, to be able to care for those patients when they call and when they come in. So Brad, before we close out the episode, the April issue of HFM is coming out in about a week. So what can people expect? Yeah, we have a great cover story coming on the future of mergers and acquisitions in the healthcare space. Obviously been a hot space over the past few years, but definitely going to heat up in uh, 21 and beyond. And um, I would encourage people who get the magazine, you know, probably falls in your mailbox around the 15th of every month. You can actually access HFM on the first of every month through our website. Just go to the HFM section and look for the digital edition. You can also download the HFM app on your phone or your tablet. And again, on the first of every month, you can uh, check out the latest edition. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. When you hop back on your social media to watch the rest of that Dolly Parton video, look for us too. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn as Healthcare Financial Management Association and on Twitter at HFMAORG. Or as always, you can email our team at podcast at hfma.org. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs>